My dear friends, good morning. How are we doing out there this morning? Good. We're doing pretty good up here, too. We're very excited to have you here. <laughs> uh, I'd like to welcome you all to Community Church, to the C2 service, where by the grace of God, everyone that is here is welcomed, everyone is loved, and everyone is affirmed. Uh, if you are just visiting us for the first time today or you have been here many, 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 many Sundays, everyone is welcome and it is a pleasure for you to join us in this special experience where we all praise together, we all worship together, we all love one another together. This morning we are going to be talking a little bit about forgiveness. Not always an easy topic, but a very, 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 very important one. So that is going to kind of be our theme running through the morning um, of our worship service today. And I'm going to ask you all to do a little something. This is a little bit different. But I'm going to ask you to take a second right now to think of someone or some folks who you think you might need to forgive, who might need your forgiveness. And I'm going to ask you during the worship this morning to just kind of keep that person or those folks in mind and see in which way God moves you this morning to see if we can make that happen. Will you guys do that for me? All right. Well, it is a beautiful day that the Lord has made. We should be glad. We should rejoice. And we are going to start by standing up and praising the King of glory. Let's do this this morning.
King of glory. My friends, will you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here together this morning on this earth, breathing the same air together as one in your name. We ask this morning, Lord, that you forgive us for where we might have slipped or we might have fallen off of the path or out of the way. And we ask that you give us the courage this morning, Lord, to open our hearts to be a forgiving and loving people to those that we encounter. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. See you. 
sing it with me now. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you up. friends we all want to see the lord and i say where one of friends before we get into our announcements for this morning our moment of generosity is going to be brought to you by our own miss beth livers good morning wasn't that a wonderful song to come into today it is hard to believe it's been 10 years since I was last asked to stand before you and share with you why I am Community Church during this very important time of the year for stewardship. In 2013, I had only been a member of Community Church for two years. I was drawn here to help find a home for my hands, my heart, and my soul. After visiting four or five other churches in the community, I knew I had found my new home after just one service and one church courtyard visit. I found the missions table in the courtyard and started asking about what opportunities they had for volunteering in the community. After a 20-minute lesson from Scott Turner, a.k.a. the big guy, I was hooked. Where do I sign up, I asked. Two years later, my prayers were answered when I was asked to be on the missions board, which in my mind is the most important board in our church. Now, I'm sure I'm going to get some flack from that, but that's my statement. Being on the missions board allowed me to see firsthand not only the needs in Indian River County has in our little slice of paradise, as we like to say in the real estate business, but also the important role that Community Church has played and continues to play in helping meet those needs. Do you know there are charitable organizations in our community that got their first start from Community Church? We have Gifford Youth Achievement Center, the Food Pantry, Habitat for Humanity, Samaritan Center, and Crossover Mission all here today helping our community because we saw the need and acted on it. I am sure that I've missed some, but you get my gist. Did they do it alone? No. Now this is a part that I love. They brought together other churches, synagogues, and parishes to help meet these needs. Community Church recognized that the larger the group they had working on the common goals within our community, the faster they could start meeting those needs collectively. 
Now, another recent fact that I've learned about Community Church in my five years of serving here is that we are lar the largest ecumenical contributor to nonprofit agencies in the county in both dollars and volunteer hours. That is a big wow. A question I had early on after seeing all the good work that they provide through the county, where do they get the dollars to help these agencies and individuals? The answer to that is community church tithes. And yes, I do like that word for this instance. 11% of the total pledges they receive from our congregation to mission work. That doesn't mean that we stop here. I would be remiss in not sharing with you our Naomi House story. In October 2016, our missions board was made aware of a critical need in our county for a homeless women's shelter. There are shelters for men and families with children, but nothing for single women. This need did not arise from the homeless camps that we all know about, but from the need of a 52-year-old woman who had not worked for over 12 years because she was a full-time caregiver for her aging parents. She suddenly found herself on the streets and living out of her car. With the passing of her mother, there was no longer the disability and social security income that had been she had been receiving to pay their living expenses, including rent and utilities. What she needed was a safe place she could go to while she figured out her newfound dilemma. Our missions board went into overdrive and said, we've got to do something here. We approached Reverend Bob, who supported us 100%, but because of the time of year that it was, he could not promise or commit to any significant outlay of funds. We told him, hmm, we got this. This isn't just community churches problem or sole responsibility, but our community's responsibility. We identified two duplexes that had been on the market for over two years that would be perfect, and from there, we began making it a reality. reality. The funds for the purchase, the needed improvements, furnishings, and one year of operating cost were all raised in record time by December 31st, just two and a half months later. Reverend Bob was shaking his head over that one. Again, by bringing other churches, individuals, and organizations into this project, we accomplished our goal in record time. Today, Naomi House is still in operation and filling those needs for short-term temporary housing for women. Yes, Community Church cares. So what is your takeaway today? Be proud to say you belong to Community Church, and when you give to community, it isn't just about our beautiful sanctuary and chapel, the unparalleled music program, a sense of fellowship that makes us all feel at home. You are also helping hundreds of local people on a weekly basis without even knowing it. For that, we all must be proud. Now, I just have one more plug before they get the hook and get me out of here. I want you to consider joining us for our Community Cares Caravan Tour. We have, you'll need to have, then you'll have the opportunity as I did to see just what is behind the names of some of the 30 plus organizations that we support. Our next one is scheduled for March 16th and we'll be touring the Ark of Indian River County, Senior Resource Association and Crossover Mission. You will love it, so bring your friends. You can sign up at our mission table after the service. My name is Beth Livers, and I am Community Church. Thank you very, very much for sharing that, Beth. I might make the argument that the youth board is the most important board. <laughs> but I get it. They're all equally important, all equally important. Um, folks, for our community life, as I tell you every week, everything that is going on in this incredible church is all on the back of your action page. Please make sure you take a look at that. Put it up on your fridge. Take it home. Refer back to it. Uh, we'll lift up a few things before 
we get into the scripture today, we do have Jazz Vespers this evening, which is a very unique and very wonderful way to worship God. It's really beautiful. It should be out in the courtyard because I think it'll be a pretty night, but it's either in the courtyard or in this room. It's beautiful music, it's beautiful praise, and it's just a wonderful experience. We also, after a hiccup last week, will be having the Soul Cafe. Our youth will be running that in commotion, which is straight through those doors. If you want to go get a little something extra, like flavored coffee or pastry treats or anything like that after this service, the youth will be back there to help you out uh, in support of our mission trip. So go check it out. I think it's going to be a pretty cool thing that we're going to try to do here each Sunday. And we also have our youth golf tournament on March 18th. We're a little short on golfers. I almost was going to bring a golf club uh, to ham it up a little bit, but I didn't. But we could use some golfers. So if you are a golfer, there, you can sign up outside at our registration table today. And uh, it's a really, really good cause. We are now, I will tell you, going to have to add a second week of mission trip at the end of the summer because we've had so, so many youth sign up for our initial trip. So we need all the help we can get and all the support uh, for a really, really, really beautiful cause. Getting into our scripture today, we are continuing along in the lectionary, and we are in the book of Matthew 18, and we are talking about forgiveness And some of you might have heard me say this before, because I've been here a little while now, but forgiveness to me is one of the greatest gifts that God can give us, because I believe what God tells us about forgiveness is that it is twice blessed. It does not only serve the person that is being forgiven, it serves the people that is doing the forgiving. And it breaks the chains from both of those individuals. And it heals both the giver of forgiveness and both the receiver of forgiveness. And that is something that God has given us and that God has taught us. But that doesn't make it easy. Sometimes forgiving is a very, very, very difficult thing to do. But I would venture to say that in this text and in other texts in the scripture, God is saying, no matter what, if we can't forgive in the way God has forgiven us, we can't heal. We can't move on. We can't get past what we're stuck in and continue along the way of Christ. Let us hear the word of the Lord for today. If your brother or sister sins... Go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on the earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, beloved. Beloved here in the church, community church, uh, Vero Beach in this sanctuary. Beloved in Christ to our worshiping in community hall this morning at C2. God bless you. And those of you who are worshiping around this country and around the world, God's grace, mercy, and peace be with you. The Bible has a great deal to say about forgiveness, our topic for this morning. Paul wrote to at least two of the communities, first to the community uh, at Ephesus, saying, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. 
And to the community at Colossae, he wrote, bearing with one another, if any has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And following today's text, with which Reverend Dave just read, Matthew 18, the next two verses, Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Please pray with me that God will illumine the path to forgiveness, reconciliation, and healing, that we will all be made well and live. Let us pray. Holy One, please forgive us when we allow anger and bitterness to fill our heart because we refuse to forgive someone who has hurt us or we refuse to acknowledge our part in causing harm to someone else. Teach us how to let go of our resentment and choose step by step to forgive one day at a time as you have forgiven us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts on these texts, O Lord, be faithful to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Oh, it is so delicious to get all uppity about how right we are and how wrong somebody else is. Have you ever done that? Kind of feels really good, doesn't it? We humans sometimes get so angry, it's just kind of juicy to hate somebody or something that caused harm to us, to those we love or to the world. How dare they? When we get angry, we humans have a tendency to complain about the offender to anyone we think will give us a little bit of sympathy. We talk smack about them by telling our friends about who they are and how we were wronged instead of doing the one thing that can make it okay by taking it to the person who hurt us. In today's lesson from Matthew, Jesus says, zip it. (laughs) Right here in Matthew 18, zip it in public. So this morning we'll reflect on the Jesus way to reconcile with one another when sin separates us. Let me tell you a story that was told to me by a friend of mine, the late Diana Garland. This story tells how the Irish expression, chancing one's arm, began. You may have heard of it. On display in St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, Ireland, hangs an ancient door with a rough-hewn rectangular opening hacked right in the center. This remarkable story of the door of reconciliation relates the Irish expression of chancing one's arm towards the forgiveness we all seek. You see, in 1492, two prominent Irish families, the Ormonds and the Kildares, were in the midst of a bitter feud. Besieged by Gerald Fitzgerald, Earl of Kildare, Sir James Butler, Earl of Ormond, and his followers took refuge in the chapter house of St. Patrick's Cathedral, bolting themselves in. As the siege wore on, the Earl of Kildare concluded the feuding was foolish. Here were two families worshiping the same God in the same church, living in the same country, trying to kill each other. So he called out to Sir James, and as the inscription in St. Patrick's reads to today, undertook on his honor that he should receive no villainy, Afraid of some further treachery, Armand did not respond. So Kildare seized his spear, cut a hole in the door, and thrust his hand through. It was grasped by another hand inside the church. The door was opened, and the two men embraced, thus ending this family feud. From Kildare's noble gesture came the expression, chancing one's arm. If you visit St. Patrick's Cathedral to this day, you will marvel at the hole in the door where Sir Kildare risked losing his arm to Sir Ormond 
by extending it to his enemy. Jesus, who so often speaks in parables and leads by example, today teaches very specific, practical, and necessary steps to chance one's arm for the sake of restoring relationships in community. Matthew directs Jesus' teachings towards a fragile, vulnerable collection of people trying to navigate a new kind of community amid hurt and uncertainty and grief following Jesus' death. The writer of Matthew didn't have a healthy community like our own in mind, a church with a clearly defined purpose, a defined and clear, clearly articulated mission and bylaws to guide our mutual concerns. Nevertheless, Jesus knew that whenever two or more gather in his name, a fight is going to break out sooner or later over something as important as the color of the tinfoil on the Easter lilies. So I think Matthew here practiced a little psychological technique called primary prevention. I think that's also used in medicine. He knew that even when all our relationships are thrumming along in harmony, we need in our toolkit spiritual tools for that day when they are not. We remember Matthew for his directness. We would much prefer to read Luke or John. Luke, the physician, those stories of healing are tender to our heart. John is the poet. It reads like a play, not Matthew. Matthew is not the one you turn to when you have skinned your knee. (laughs) Always matter of fact, always direct. He assumes that the community is going to experience pain, conflict, and struggle and disagreement as they figure out what it means to be Christ followers amid conflict, amid Roman or national or international occupation, and in the midst of competing allegiances. In a time when so many of our churches are asking, can't we all just get along? Matthew says, no, no. But we have a plan for that. This process of forgiveness intends to reconcile parties, not just for their own personal sake, but for the sake of the community that can never be healthy as long as such a breach stands. There's much to be said about how to forgive ourselves or how to forgive someone with whom a conversation would not be safe or possible. And while Jesus addresses both this kind of very personal as well as great systemic sins elsewhere, Here in this passage, Matthew recounts Jesus' teaching on what to do when there's a breach in our local community. So just for today, consider with me that person in your circle of care with whom you might chance your arm. Think about someone in this or another faith community who hurt you or wounded you in such a way that the pain continues to fester like a splinter under your skin. This person may be in your neighborhood community or your social group or within your family or extended family. Unlike the human body that heals itself over time, an unhealed breach in relationship can last a lifetime. According to Matthew, Jesus keeps it simple. Step one, when someone sins against you, that is, when someone acts in a way that causes you hurt or harm, betrays you, or takes advantage of you, then go alone to that person. Tell them what happened and how it affected you. If that person receives you, if that person hears you, apologizes to you, then forgive them. You have regained that relationship. Jesus urges his disciples to have honest conversation in private with the offending party. No passive aggressive behavior, no triangulation, just forthright conversation. 
We know that it is so much easier to complain to others about the one who has offended us than to talk directly to that offending person. But Jesus leaves no room for such self-absorbed grudge nursing. Restoring a broken relationship begins in private between two parties concerned. Step two, when you do go in private to someone who hurt you and you are not received or you are not heard, then Jesus advises you to take one or two other people you trust with you. Not so that they're on your side and tell you you've got a right to be upset, so that you, but so that you have witnesses to your truth and also to their response. If that person then receives you, hears you, apologizes to you, and you forgive them, and you will forgive them, then you have regained that relationship. Step three, if that person still refuses to listen, then tell it to the church, to your community, and if the offender refuses to listen even to the community, to the wisdom of the gathered leaders to the community, then treat that offending party as if they were a Gentile and a tax collector. It is tax season after all. Great example, Matthew, as, as if it weren't enough that this offender were a Gentile, also a tax collector. We get that. Now at this point, it may seem like Matthew says you can give up on the schmuck, but not so fast. Jesus makes it clear that no one is beyond the reach of God's mercy. Not even the ones we love to hate. It's true though. There may be times when it becomes necessary to exclude someone for the well-being of the community. Yet God's story in their lives continues. As followers of the way of Jesus, we always seek the lost sheep. We always set a place at the welcome table for them in the event that they one day return. The text from Matthew lays out a compassionate process that avoids shaming and embarrassment. No cancel culture, no unfriending, ultimately seeks restoration, not further division. By moving from a private conversation to a small group conversation to finally an intervention before the church or the community, the offender is given multiple opportunities to recognize what has been broken, to admit their wrongdoing, and to be thus restored to community. Years ago, I served a church where a man I'll call Jim, he was a man who couldn't stand me and sat every Sunday on the back row with his arms crossed like this. He was just waiting for me to mess up. He made a habit of criticizing everything I did with anybody who would hear him, although he remained unfailingly polite to me. At first I was hurt by the comments that I heard second, third, and fourth hand, and I worked really hard to win him over. I visited him and his wife at home. I supported him when a family member became ill and I met with him in my office whenever he wanted to question whether or not I was sufficiently saved and born again to have earned the right to teach and preach in church. When my personal attempts at reconciliation failed, I took a member of the personnel committee with me to see what we could do to alleviate his concerns. Eventually, members of the church confronted Jim for acting like a bully, expressed their support of my leadership, and asked him to either reconcile with me and the church or find another community better matched to his theology. They did it very lovingly, but they did it. It was brave. When Jim left the church, he continued to talk smack about me in the wider community, once calling me the Antichrist. That gives me a whole lot of power I don't have. <laughs> he became to our faith community as a Gentile and a tax collector, and many said, good riddance. Yet I continued to pray for him with a mixture of dismay and, to be honest, relief that he'd found another church. 
Then God changed Jim's heart. From the distance of another church, he listened to one of my sermons online as if for the first time and then watched how the church served one of his friends who suffered from a disabling illness. After calling for an appointment, he came in to see me and he apologized. Pastor, he said, God convicted my heart. I was wrong. Please forgive me. This man chanced his arm. No one would have blamed me if I had thanked him for coming, wished him well at his new church, and shown him the door. But this story isn't about the response of the community who did, in fact, welcome him home. God's mercy and grace gave Jim the courage to make things right. It always takes courage to tell someone the truth with love, someone who has hurt you, someone whom you have hurt, to risk rejection and further pain, to become vulnerable before the one who by rights could return hurt with further harm. So how do we forgive from the heart? It's so hard. It helps to remember that to forgive is not to deny the pain or wrongness of an act. It is not to excuse that which is unjust or hurtful, nor is it to tolerate further abuse. Yet in confronting one another and receiving one another, we come face to face with our own sin and brokenness and realize that both parties utterly depend on the grace of God. When someone wrongs us, it can be so painful. A colleague at work betrays us. A friend talks about us behind our back. A business partner cheats us. A relative abuses us. These betrayals hurt, make no mistake. What then do we do? The human instinct is to retaliate, get even. Netflix nourishes us and flourishes by entertaining us with movies and television series that exact justice on our terms. We love it when whomever we think is the bad guy gets it in the end. But God's way is very different from that. God's way is to overcome evil with good. Instead of retaliating, Jesus teaches us to forgive and to do good towards that person. Jesus asks us to forgive the person who wronged us, to set them and set us free. Most of us find this really difficult. It's the hardest work of love to forgive, the hardest work but the refusal to forgive destroys us. Theologian Frederick Buechner writes, of all the deadly sins, resentment appears to be the most fun. To lick our wounds and savor the pain you will give back is in many ways a feast fit for a king. But then it turns out that what you are eating at the banquet of bitterness is your own heart. The skeleton at the feast is you. You start out holding a grudge, but at the end, the grudge holds you. When you forgive someone who has deeply hurt you, you let go of resentment and the urge to seek revenge no matter how deserving of these things the wrongdoer may be. You give the great gifts of acceptance, generosity, and love. Though the wrongdoer does not deserve these gifts, you don't let that stand in your way. You forgive, not out of pity, not out of grim obligation or duty. I have to because I'm a Christian. Rather, you forgive because as one forgiven, you choose mercy over revenge. You reject bitterness and choose life. Maybe the singing group ABBA got it right all along. If you change your mind, I'm the first in line. Take a chance on me. Take a chance on me. Take a chance. Amen.
I sure hope you all can feel the grace of God in this very room as much as I do right now. It's a beautiful thing. We cannot heal until we forgive. We cannot heal until we forgive. Will you pray with me once more, friends? Creator and creating God, thank you for your amazing power and work in our lives. We thank you for your goodness, for your blessings over us. We thank you for your great love and care to all of us. We thank you for your sacrifice so that we might have freedom, life, and forgiveness. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't thank you enough for who you are, for all that you do, for all that you've given. Help us to set our eyes and our hearts on you anew and afresh. Renew our spirits. Fill us with your peace and joy. We love you, God, and we need you this day and every day. We give you praise and thanks. For you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, let us all now pray together the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Blessed be the rock, my friends, the rock of my salvation. Let us once more stand and praise in the name of God.
today, please remember that by the grace of God, you are forgiven. Let me say that one more time. By the grace of God, you are forgiven. Let us now go and do the same to others. Go in peace, my friends, and may the grace and love of God be with you now and always. Amen. Amen.